This is The Sparkcast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. Sharon Taylor is proof that passion, determination, and curiosity can take you anywhere. Sharon's career at Animal Logic started more than 15 years ago when she answered a newspaper ad for the position of assistant accountant. She eventually moved from accounting to production, and today she's the studio's group chief operating officer, a position that has included expanding the studio's operation and setting up Animal Logic Vancouver in 2015. We recently had a chance to speak with Sharon about her career, clearing the runway for creatives, and what makes Animal Logic such a special place to work. Here's my conversation with Sharon Taylor. We're going to jump right in, and I, I wanted to start by talking a little bit about your background. Can you talk a little bit about where you grew up and what you were like as a kid? Uh, so I grew up in Sydney, uh, born and bred here uh, in the western suburbs of Sydney. Um, as a, I'm a middle daughter of three sisters, uh, so, of course, probably a little bit of middle child syndrome. Um, but uh, throughout my childhood, I was a competitive gymnast for about 15 years. Um, so my childhood was a lot of training for gymnastics um, and then watching a lot of movies on weekends with my sisters and my parents. So what did you want to do when you grew up? Did you plan on being like a professional athlete? Was that ever a thought or? I still haven't worked that out, Marina. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, for a long time, uh, it was about being an athlete. Um, I had some injuries along the way, which sort of forced my early retirement. Um, but for me, it's always just been about, you know, challenging myself, you know, finding a new way to challenge myself, achieve something new. Um, and, you know, it was never, never, I know it's weird, film was not something that I aspired to do. It's something that I could never live without now, but that wasn't what it was for me, um, which probably isn't the best, you know, <laughs> the best career trajectory. But now that I'm here, I'm home, you know, it's, uh, I can't imagine doing anything else but this. So let's talk a little bit about your 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 trajectory to where you are now. So you know you're a kid, you're a gymnast, you're loving movies as a as a child. So what? How do you like? Do you go to school? Because I know that you kind of started in like the accounting field. So I'm I'm curious about the the how do you get into accounting and from accounting to where you are today? <laughs> uh, I think when I left high school, I you sort of mentioned it before. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and I was fortunate enough to work with a number of, uh, you know, different types of companies um, through sort of office administration and management. Um, and in one of my early jobs, uh, the accounts person was going on maternity leave. And so they asked me if I could fill in for, you know, that period of time while she went and had her child. And the numbers and the analytics that came along with it made sense to me. So um, I didn't ever study outside of high school. Um, I've been, you know, fortunate enough to have managers or uh, peers who have been very giving of their time and, you know, as teaching me things, investing in my development. Um, and it sort of led to a number of sort of different roles in finance departments through one was a software company, one was a financial services company. 
Um, and I found myself finding an ad for an accounts job um, that I applied for and no idea what the company was. Uh, it just said, you know, interesting work, creative environment. Um, and so I applied for the job. And next thing you know, I'm sitting in the foyer of Animal Logic. And to be honest, I had no idea who they were. Uh, but there was a Matrix poster on the wall. Um, and I was like, oh, this looks very interesting. Um, and I had the interview with Mark Thorley, who was the financial controller at the time. And I started four days later. And, and you started at like basically at the entry level of the accounting department, right? As an assistant, to, uh, account, accounting assistant. Yeah, I was doing uh, everything from petty cash to paying the bills, uh, helping to book travel. So it was definitely, you know, started right in the, you know, what I would consider the centre of a lot of information, you know, looking at payroll and the amount of time people were spending on things, purchasing of all of the equipment. So it gave me real understanding of all the different components that go into making our films. I think it's really interesting because I, I like one of the things that when I, even when I was starting sort of in my career in office work, I worked as a temp for a long time. And it was usually like, you know, doing that kind of work where you kind of you go into an organization, you might not know anything about the business, but you kind of get glimpses of everything that's happening within the business because you're doing all the kind of air quotes, dirty work. You, you see all the things that happen, but it's not always that you kind of take all that information and then turn it into something more. And you really didn't work at that position for many years before you were promoted to something else. Can you talk a little bit about your, I don't know, is it like your motivation or is it just something the way that you work where you um, synthesize this information and kind of see the bigger picture? Yeah, I do think that that was part of it. You know, it started to really make sense to me. Um, as I took on production accounting for our commercials division, um, because the commercials, you know, they would run for maybe 12 weeks was a long schedule. So you got to see from the original bidding phase right through until something delivered, just all the different steps in the process, um, but also the way in which our TVC producers worked with clients, dealt with change, um, and, you know, the last-minute requests that might come through, whether it's for a software plug-in or somebody to travel internationally. Um, and so you got to see how the dynamics of our projects work um, in a much tighter time frame. Of course, then when you go into animated features, I, I don't think you would ever say it's the same, but it draws out over a longer period of time. And it's, you know, it is a lot of the same processes. It's a lot of the same responsiveness. So that commercials period where, you know, our TVC producers taught me so much um, and there are amazing wonderful group of women who I'd go and sit in the production office and I'd ask a million questions you know what's the flame who's on the flame how do you know how many days you know it was that process for me because I was just inquisitive I wanted to understand it I didn't want to just sit there and plug numbers into a spreadsheet without knowing how and why um, so that's a little bit of I think my brain process <laughs> Um, of wanting to know all of the detail. Was it ever um, scary to take like that next leap to, to the next thing? Because it was kind of every time was sort of like an unknown because you were kind of jumping into something new. I think every every step is a little bit scary. And I think every step should be a little bit scary. You know, it's, um, I think, 
stepping slightly outside of your comfort zone um, is a great way to continue to develop and grow. Um, but what's been fantastic about Animal is I never felt alone in that step. You know, from Mark, my manager at the time, or Zare, our CEO, you know, I always felt that um, I would never, I would always have somebody to reach out to, to seek guidance on. Um, but also to tell me, you know, where maybe I'm stepping too fast, you know, so take a step back and sort of actually stop and think about what you're doing and consider it and seek some more guidance before you sort of jump in. And, you know, I think that has always given me the reassurance to be brave um, and to take on new challenges. Um, but also, you know, the confidence of the teams around you. You know, no single person can stop our films from being made you know there's so many people involved um and it's how we support each other I think that actually gets them across the finish line would you say that like I, I'm curious about the jump from the accounting side to the the creative side when you go from you know being the head of production accounting to then making the transition to head of production where I'm assuming it's probably a combination of more of the you know your analytical skills but also more of the creative so how can you talk a little bit about making that transition and how um you know, working on the creative side of things has kind of changed how maybe you approach the day-to-day -day of, you know, the actual, um, the day-to-day the, the, the -day work to actually keep things running, like the accounting work kind of thing. Well, I think my head of production role, I wouldn't necessarily say it was creative. Um, it was definitely a partnership between myself and our producers uh, to, you know, my role was to clear the runway and still is today to make things happen for everybody to achieve greatness. And so it wasn't like I would creatively drive films. I would listen to what was coming from our creatives and what and when they needed to achieve things and try to find the, the fastest path to get there um, and, you know, how to make the impossible possible. And so my analytics helped with that, but I think it's, it was more about listening to people and listening to what it is that they were trying to achieve. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, any leader needs to, or any manager and people progressing through their career is, you know, looking at how people are working, um, looking at, you know, the vibe in the studio, how people are feeling about the work that they're doing. You can tell a lot by that about whether or not the projects are moving forward successfully or if there's, you know, bottlenecks or, you know, areas that need some focus. And that's how I saw my role as head of production. Um, and I would partner with the producers to try and give every film uh, the ecosystem that it needed to succeed. It's, I, th I think it's really interesting because you talk about um, being supportive and being a good leader. and it's one thing to think to say, uh, you know, be a good leader, but it's another thing to actually do it and be it. And I'm curious over the course of your career, what are some of sort of like the, the, the key things that you've learned that um, work at being for being creative, a good leader and things that maybe don't work? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, mm. I think it's different depending on every team, um, each department and each individual, you know, I think there's no uh, one size fits all. Um, you know, I think uh, anybody who knows me would know that I'm very honest and direct. 
you know, I think everybody knows where they stand with a situation or what's going on. Um, and I don't think that there's there's never any benefit to holding back, you know, and that delivery of information needs to be done in a collaborative and constructive way um, because nobody's coming to work every day to do a bad job. You know, everybody's coming here wanting to do the best that they possibly can and you have to remember that in every conversation um, and really sort of listening to uh, what people need, uh, whether or not that's um, the balance between work and home and life, whether or not that's, you know, they need more people on their team. You know, you have to try and get to what is really at the heart of what their challenges are and try to find a way to support them through it. Uh, because I can't, I can't do their job. You know, I'm not a creative. Uh, I can't get on the tools and help support them um, in that way. So being uh, available for them to have their voice heard um, and try to support them through that has always, you know, always needs to be the, the first point of call. Um, things that don't work is, you know, trying to manage from a spreadsheet, <laughs> you know, trying to just, you know, put things into a budget or put things into a plan and assume it will just happen organically. You know, everything needs to shift and change every day, if not every hour, um, based on what's happening in the moment. So, you know, giving people the tools and the authority or autonomy to be able to navigate through uh, what's happening day to day because everything coming back up to me is just never going to be productive. It will never get you there. Um, so I have a great team of managers and supervisors across the entire company who are the ones who actually drive everything day to day and giving them that authority and empowering them in that way, I think, was probably one of the hardest things to do initially. Um, but it's, you know, the most rewarding, I will say. I'm curious when you have so many moving parts, and as you say, you're as much of a resources manager as a person, a people manager. Um, that 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 leaves a lot of room because I mean, we're human, right? And humans have feelings and emotions, and sometimes that gets in the way of doing the work. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you sort of deal with you know the stresses of uh, the unexpected, and you know maybe dealing with you know troubled productions or, you know, uh, difficult people. H how do you deal with that on a personal level? Like how do you get over some of those hardships? It's, I think some of the, you know, the emotion that people feel um, is actually what I think goes to the fact that everybody is so passionate about what they're doing. Mm. Um, and I think that's what makes this industry so special, you know, is that, Everybody who works in it is so passionate about what it is that we're doing that um, it's it's easy to come at everything from that positive place. Um, there are difficult people, um, and I think you just need to, you know, whether or not it's a difficult client or a difficult supervisor, um, being able to talk to them openly about what you need to be successful, you know, if they want 50 shots delivered in one day, um, you know, you have to talk through how and why that's possible or not possible um, or what they could do to help you get there. Um, and that's how I like to sort of engage with some of those more challenging conversations is we all have a role to play and we all have uh, a key, key responsibilities in every part of what we do. So 
how do we all come together to find those solutions um, and get, you know, get through what it is that we need to get through, you know, whether or not it's a delivery schedule or a budget challenge or, you know, pipelines not coming together as you thought that they would, you know, there was always a solution and it does come down to finding the compromise between all of those different aspects. So we took a detour there a little bit, but I want to go back to talking a little bit about your career trajectory, because one of the things um, that I that I wanted to talk to you about was opening the studio in Vancouver and kind of spearheading that opening. Can you talk a little bit about how that came about and how you became involved? Um, it all happened very quickly. Um, I think it was... Um, it was a very quick process. We'd just finished the Lego movie and we were starting on Lego Batman and Ninjago. Um, and we knew that, and Warner Brothers had an appetite to do more Lego films. And, you know, I think Zari, our CEO, had been talking to Christopher at Warner Brothers and, you know, discussing opening, you know, a second studio uh, to accommodate all of this work. And um, the decision was made that that's what we were going to do. And so, you know, there was a lot of time with the executive team at Animalogic putting together the, the business plan and how we were going to approach it. Um, and it sort of happened a little bit organically, uh, you know, working with Zara and talking him through the plan and knowing that the studio needed a, you know, somebody to be on the ground to bring the studio together and, our culture is our biggest asset here at Animal. You know, the culture and the animals that we have are really what makes this place. And so we were talking about ideally having somebody come from Sydney into Vancouver to build the team of animals. Um, and next thing you know, I was on a plane to Vancouver. <laughs> and it was the most amazing and challenging and scary experience of my life. Um but I was so grateful for the opportunity and, you know, the Vancouver industry just embraces everybody, you know, and it's quite phenomenal, you know, the the ecosystem that exists there between VFX and film and TV and games and live action. Like it's a real community. Um, and so I loved being a part of that community. Um, it was, you know, fantastic experience and we had a great team. You know, we had a lot of fun building out that studio, whether it was, you know, when we were there with 10 people to when we grew to 300. You know, it was always, um, there was always people there being excited about what was happening next. I'm curious to talk a little bit about the culture of Animal Logic and that that's what makes it special. And what, what do you, can you put your finger on, you know, a couple of things that kind of define what it is to be an animal and, and, and what makes the studio so special? I mean, since, you know, the day one of Animal Logic, you know, it's our 30th year this year and, you know, from day one, everybody's lived by the philosophy of great work with great people. And I think that, that echoes through everything that we do. Um, and it's, you know, everybody comes to work and says, I'm an animal, right? And everybody has this um, investment in who we are and uh, it is a family environment um, where it's, it, you just, you meet people every day, somebody you've never met and you walk through the hallways and you stop and have a chat to them and you get to know them. Um, COVID has made that a little more challenging, but we'll be back there soon. Um, and it's just, there's no hierarchy or corporate structures that mean that 
people can't just pop by my office to, you know, have a chat or, you know, anybody can do that across any of the um, departments within Animal. And it does create this sense of community. You know, when people leave, you know, the message is once an animal, always an animal. The door will always be open and we hope that you're back soon. Um, and it is that, I think, that culture and that philosophy that um, creates what I think is a unique, unique culture within the company. Has it been more difficult as, you know, you mentioned, you know, we're, a lot of people are working from home, so you, you're not going into the office every day and you're not having that connection with people. Has it been um, like, has it been one more difficult, obviously, to, to keep the, the sort of the family structure together? And, and how has Animal Logic and how have you kind of worked to try to keep that alive? Um, of course, it's been challenging. I think life has been challenging. Um, and, you know, this year it has been, I think as a company, we've been trying to allow people time to be with their families. You know, it's been that balance of making, keeping people productive and working and our IT teams and our um, HR teams and everybody, getting everybody working from home so quickly was just a feat that I am still in awe of. Um, and, you know, our comms team, you know, we just creating different opportunities throughout the day for people to connect, whether it was tea time in the afternoon or, you know, trivia over teams, you know, trying to create opportunities for people to just take a moment to re-engage back with animals that they might not see anymore because they're not in the studio um, and just try to build those connections. Um, it, it, it has impacted, obviously. I think, you know, there's people who have joined our Vancouver team who have never set foot in the studio or never met another animal face-to-face. -face. Uh, and I th that has been hard. Onboarding of staff and training of more junior staff has been a challenge, but I think all of our supervisors have really risen to the occasion and tried to sort of create those team-based events um, and reviews and connections. You know, our buddy system for new starters was done virtually, so everybody still had a buddy when they started to ask questions of. Um, and, you know, we just hope that, when we're all back in the studio again here in Sydney, we're, we're back open and we hope that Vancouver will be back open fully soon. Um, you know, it'll be time to sort of come together and I guess celebrate that moment of us all being back under one roof. Um, you've talked uh, and, and clearly the idea of, um, or the, yeah, the idea of having uh, a supportive, open place where people can be creative and, and create these amazing works is something that's really important. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit about your activism work. And I do call it activism work because I think the work that you're doing with uh, WIA and with the various other associations that you participate in is really, really important. When did that kind of become more of a uh, central thing for you, the, this idea that you needed to really step up and be a leader not only at Animal Logic but in the industry at large? Uh, I mean, there's an aspect of it that's give back. You know, I have been given some incredible opportunities in my time, um, as you mentioned before, and I want to be able to provide those opportunities for others. Uh, and But also that our industry is changing. You know, the content that people want to consume needs to change, I think, for me, uh, the it was never a question of, you know, taking a role in, in where or pushing that agenda forward. It was just 
you know, moving to Vancouver actually created an opportunity for me to connect into that community in a uh, more hands-on way, uh, which, you know, together with a few other fantastic women leaders in the Vancouver industry were able to get the Vancouver WEA chapter launched. Um, and it's, it's for me, it's just creating a industry that is welcoming of all peoples, anybody from any background, um, and, you know, enjoying their part in the industry, you know, not being scared of it, feeling safe within that industry, um, and actually achieving all of their dreams, you know. There shouldn't be any any roadblocks for anybody to be successful in this industry. Um, and that is a driving driving force for me, both within and outside animal. I, I'm curious because, I mean, the reality of it is you're one of basically like a handful of women that are in a, this this high of a leadership role within the industry. Was there, do you ever, did you ever encounter like pushback either internally or externally for the fact that you were kind of like taking on these leadership roles and perhaps not seeing other women getting the same opportunities and stepping up for it? Um, I think I've never had, I don't believe I've had pushback because I was a woman. I think, uh, as you mentioned, my career trajectory came through a very odd pathway um, and, you know, it happened quite quickly at different stages. And I think that, I think, challenged some people in some ways because I wasn't the traditional head of production or I wasn't, I didn't fit that traditional mould of coming from that creative background. So I think that was probably more where I had the pushback. Um, and, you know, of course, we've, I think any woman in this industry would be lying if they said they hadn't seen uh, incidents of, roadblocks for other women or uh, things that may have happened in an encounter that, you know, you look back on and question how and why that happened, you know, whether it's a comment at a meeting or talking over the top of somebody. Um, and I think it's, you know, seeing the industry adjust to that in a lot of ways um, and being confident enough to call it out, you know, and I think that's, that's what I want to instill in anybody within Animal or in the industry. You know, whether you're a woman or you're a man or, you know, what your background is, um, knowing that you can call that stuff out in a safe way, I think, is where we need to get to um, because we need to draw attention to it. It's the only way it's going to stop. I kind of wanted to get at the idea of, you know, it's one thing to to have and to want to have a productive and happy and uh positive working environment, but the reality of it is that at some point you might get uh, the rogue elements that start to sort of erode at the good intentions that you might have. How do, do you and how does Animal Logic kind of um, keep it, keep tabs on making sure that those negative impacts don't really, don't start to, um, you know, spread throughout and kind of erode the, the building blocks that you guys have put in place? Uh, having strong policies but also having strong being clear on your expectations of people and how you expect them to behave within uh, the organization um, and you know it starts with leadership across all levels uh, and I think it's a little bit people will respond and embrace the behaviors that they see others doing and if it's tolerated for one person, then it becomes tolerated for everybody. And I think it's being very um, quick to cut 
that out and and call it out as I said before you know make it clear that that won't be tolerated within the organization and if that's where people are going to come from and the approach that they're going to take within animal logic then they need you know there does need to be a sit down about whether or not that's the right fit for them um speaking more about you know it seems to me like you're very much about the people as much as it is about the work. And I'm curious over the course of your career, uh, both at animal logic and outside of it, what, what is your, for you personally, what's your, what you feel is your biggest accomplishment? Oh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think there's any one thing you know I think every time I see the animalogic family grow um, and it's humming along and we achieve you know we get our film across the line like every film delivery is the greatest accomplishment in that moment and then the next one is the greatest accomplishment Uh, they're all hard work uh, which is why I think you know and they can't be done without the people there's you can't just hire machines to do what we do and at the end of the day it it is all about the people you know, it's about everybody from production uh, to technology and our support teams. They all create magic every day to make our films possible. Um, and, you know, I think the greatest accomplishment is seeing those teams succeed. You know, when people go home every day and they talk about it was the best experience on that film that they worked on, that's the accomplishment that I feel. Do you have any disappointments or any uh, moments that were kind of like missed opportunities that you might maybe regret? Um, there's been challenges, you know, the build-out of our Vancouver studio. Uh, we had a lot of construction issues. You know, there's been challenges and, you know, moments where I felt like I'm never going to be able to do this. We're never going to get this studio up and running and the Lego Movie 2 will never happen. Um you know, one incident was, you know, a leak through our roof that went through all three floors of our premises. You know, there's moments like that, I think, that I've had throughout my career um, that when you push through the other side and the team around you rallies to make it all possible, uh, I think that's when you realise that how important it is, those partnerships. And, you know, you sort of set yourself up for the next challenge. Uh, you've got to take it in your stride and not let it sort of knock you down where you can't get back up. And and how do you uh, sort of, when you go home at the end of the day, how do you de-stress? How, how do you leave or do you? Do you leave work at work or do you take some of that home with you? No, I don't think, I don't think you can leave this industry each night. Um, I think it's all ingrained in us, but I'm lucky enough I have my wonderful bulldog, Ruckus, who is from Vancouver Island and now lives here in Sydney with me, Um, and my partner, Dan, who, you know, sacrificed a lot for the move to Vancouver. Um, And so, you know, we'll have dinner and we'll hang out and take Ruckus for a walk, and, you know, that's what the de-stress is for me. Well, let's talk a little bit about this because I think one of the things that's really interesting is um, the way that the industry is, it, it can sometimes require that you move f- to various places for work. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, the stresses of dealing with that uh, personally and what you see in the office where, you know, when you have individuals that are having to relocate for work and what it was like for you? Can you talk about, a little bit about how you how you sort of deal with that as well? 
Yeah, I really underestimated it. When my, before I moved to Vancouver, I was like, oh, everybody moves here from overseas. This is easy. Um, but picking my life up and going to Vancouver was was definitely a lot more challenging than I thought, um, mostly just because there's so much life admin and, you you know, just the effort that it takes to actually do that. Um, and then there's the whole assimilating into a new city and new people and making new friends and moving away from your support system. Uh, you know, here within Animal, you know, we try to create opportunities for people to uh, who have relocated here, we have our buddy programs, we'll have our new starter events when people join uh, to really try and help them build that sense of community around them uh, because I think that is really important. You know, anywhere that you go, particularly, you know, I was fortunate enough to move to Vancouver, which culturally is very similar to Sydney, but we have people joining our teams in Sydney and Vancouver that, um, uh you know, come from completely different cultures. And so anything you can do to help them build that sense of uh, family around them outside of the studio is really important. But I, I did want to talk a little bit more about um, the, the trajectory of your career. You've been at Animal Logic for, you know, 16 years. You've had a long career there. Would you do anything different? Uh, I don't I don't know if I could. Um you know, I this place is it's given me every opportunity. Um, I I love what I do every day. Um, you know, you never say never to anything, but you know, for me, I just I just want to keep animal moving forward and you know keep going with the great work with great people philosophy um, and you know finding animals to achieve their dreams here. And I'm curious, you know, if you if you could give yourself any advice, knowing what you know now, if you could give yourself advice, you know, 15, 20 years ago, what, what would you tell yourself? I think it's to uh, keep your eyes open. You know, I think opportunity can come from areas that you least expect it. Um, and, you know, I think you've got to be aware of what's going on. Um, and, you know, I think continue to be brave and, you know, challenge yourself. You know, I think that that advice applies to any role that you want to take or anything you're trying to achieve in life. Um, you know, you're your biggest cheerleader and I think you have to be um, and surround yourself with people who believe in you as much as you do. And that was my conversation with Sharon Taylor, Animal Logic's Group Chief Operating Officer. You can find out more about Animal Logic at animallogic.com. The Sparkcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. Opening and closing credits, as well as additional production support by Michael Edland. For more about Spark CG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org.